You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Damascus Road Church. I thank you for the stillness right now in the room. And I pray that in the quiet, that each of us would give you permission to speak to our hearts. As we stand on your word, as we open it up, um, as we talk about it, as we grapple with it together. Would you let us receive what you have for us today? Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I brought my bee stick up here so that nobody can steal mine. Um, so we're going to go there. I'm Shannon. I'm a pastor here. Um, if you were here last week, we um, presented a word that Mickey was up here. Mickey presented a word that she felt like was from God, kind of sought me out and the elders out to say, uh, do you think also that this may be from God for the church. And that was affirmed. Uh, and then so we just jumped in, right? And Mickey's word was all about, like, as a church and people, it's time to trust Jesus. It's time to trust. It's time to jump into what Jesus has for us. And standing with Mickey's word was big Jesus. And I love, I love the simple and profound message there. Jesus is big, and we can trust him. Jump in. So I know that over the course of the week, some of you were deeply encouraged by that. Some of you felt an invitation to get deeper in with Jesus and to take risks with Jesus that you have felt like you've been holding back on, and I love that. And I also know that some of you were deeply concerned with what happened. Some of you were bothered by what happened. And there's conflict going on with what happened last week, and I want to speak into it. Partly, um, partly, I think I made some assumptions and didn't speak out over everything because uh, there are things that I believe and we believe that I just think didn't need to be said, or that's what I thought. And so I'm going to speak back into it and go back and reflect, and just to say, as a church, we believe certain things, right? When we say we think there's something, there's something that God has for us that he's saying to us, how do we hear? How do we receive? What does that look like? And I want to start out by saying, start out by saying, as a church, we stand on the Bible as the definitive word of God, that God spoke, that God sealed it. The Bible stands as our final authority, and everything that comes whether in preaching or in teaching or in Mickey's that we call the word of prophecy last week, everything that is spoken to the church has to fall under the words of the Bible, has to submit itself and be submitted to the final authority of the word of God. It does not stand equal. I'm fallible. Mickey's fallible. Every one of us is fallible. And so when we start to speak out what we think God is saying as a word, there is room for error in that. And yet God calls us into it. God calls us not to be timid, not to be shy, but to step in and do our best. I love what Mickey had to say. And we submit it to Scripture. The second is we believe that this Holy Spirit is still speaking today. Not that the, the definitive Word of God is still being written, but that He illuminates the Scripture to us. The Bible is not just words on a page that we read and say that's good enough. 
the Holy Spirit takes the words and puts them into our heart, puts them into our soul, and we live them out. We don't just read the words, we live the words. They become alive in us as the Holy Spirit reveals more and more and more. And we say, God is alive today, and God is speaking today, and we submit that to what He has already said. We believe that God is full of integrity, that God, when He speaks, does not, cannot contradict Himself. And we welcome it because we want people, we want to be people who hear from God on a regular basis and respond to Him. Not just, you said these things, we'll trust you in the past. Right now, we stand on your word and we receive that you continue to speak in with integrity, with one voice. Third, discernment is still needed. I don't want you to come in here and say, I'm going to blindly trust. I'm just going to open my ears and take in whatever is said. I want you to come with your brain. I want you to come with a spirit that says, just like Paul praised the Bereans, you tested what I said, and I praise you for that. I want you to test every word that is spoken against the words of the Bible. Submit it to the words of the Bible. And if you find it in contradiction, do not swallow that. Do not take that. Test it. Test it by yourself. Test it with the Holy Spirit. I trust the Holy Spirit to move in you. And test it in community. Talk with others. Grapple with others. Fight with others. This is a fight. There are a bunch of voices competing for our attention. You got my voice, you got your own voice, you got the voice of the Holy Spirit, you got lots of other voices, and there is the enemy who is constantly trying to get your attention. You have to be diligent. You have to test. We test it against what God has already said. And if we find it to hold merit, then I want you to receive it. If you find it to have merit, then I want you to receive it. So I'm going to go back to what Mickey said. Because we presented something, then I really think God has something to speak to us now that is relevant to where we are as a church. It might not be for you. That's okay. That's okay. And I'm going to trust you to walk with humility. I'm going to trust you to walk with courage. And I'm going to trust you to say, God, is this for me? And if you don't sense that, by all means, stay back. But if you do, if you think God is speaking to you, then do not hold back. I've lived in fear for way too long, and I don't want any part of that anymore. And when God speaks, I see it as a gift. And I want, to, I want you to see it as a gift. It's okay if you're scared. It's okay if you're resistant. If you're, it's okay if you find all of this kind of stuff weird. God is supernatural. He doesn't just deal in the natural, right? The supernatural can feel supernatural. <laughs> be wise. Be discerning. If you go back and listen to the podcast and what Mickey said again, and you feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, yes, jump in, trust 
Jesus, do not be afraid. God is trustworthy, and you can take a dive with him. If you find that to contradict scripture, I'd love to talk with you. Really. And if you feel like that's for you, ask him, how do I jump in? What's for me? What does that even look like? You don't need to know all the answers. You just keep asking. It's going to look different to you than for me, probably. Okay? Good. If you have questions, come and talk to me. Find somebody else. Let's test this together, and let's move forward in trust. Amen? We're, as Justin said, we're in the fifth week of our vision series where we're starting to uh, talk about stuff that's been growing at Damascus Road quietly, I think under the surface for the better part of two years. And just being able to talk about what is that? What does that look like? How do we spread that among the church? What does that look like? And we've said from week one, this is not a program. It will not be plug and play. Here's the vision. Let's all follow down the road. It's not a program. This is all about following Jesus. How do I and how do you follow Jesus? How do we look at him, figure out how he lived, figure out how he taught, figure out how he led? What does it mean? What did he mean when he said, follow me? And said, Jesus was all about making disciples. And he was about making disciples who would walk with him and follow him and imitate and become like him. And he said, you're going to do greater things than I did. Like this has spread in this capacity. It's going to spread all over the world through you. We are plan A for how the gospel spreads today. What does it look like to follow Jesus in a way that says, make disciples. Make disciples who make disciples. And in the coming months, we're going to be putting our efforts into making disciples who make disciples. Equipping the church to equip the church, so that it busts out. My dream, my vision has been like, we're going to climb a mountain together. And when we get to the summit, the landscape that we see, that we're not there yet, the landscape that we see, we can't even imagine yet. But when we get there, uh, by making disciples who make disciples, God is going to blow our minds with how we're able to impact us how we're able to flourish in a relationship with Jesus, and how we're able to reach out and impact the world. We can't even imagine yet what's coming, but it's coming. So the last three weeks, we've talked about the relationships that a disciple needs in their life, in my life and in your life. And we talked about a relationship up with God that is vital to following Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you, you're not a disciple. That, that's, that's required. And Jesus said, and I want you to have in relationships. I want, you to, I want you to have community in fellowship in a way where you're vulnerable with each other, where you trust each other, where you're loved and known so much that it feels like family, where you actually start to operate like a healthy family operates in relationships. And I want you to have out relationships. I don't want you to forget the people who are outside of Jesus not in a judgmental way, not in a superiority complex kind of way, but like in a way that Jesus did. And we're going to talk about out today. 
We talked about in, we talked uh, about up, and we're going to talk about out today. Now, as, as we've been talking about these relationships and as we've been talking about wanting to be a people who hear from God personally and respond, we've been able to tell some stories about what that looks like in our life, our lives. You've heard from a bunch of different people just about like some of the examples of what it looks like. And here's what I love about it. It's not all finished. It's not all tied up neat and tidy, right? Like I started following Jesus. I heard from God and he made my life really easy. He tied it all up nice and neat and I want to pass on a nice and neat life to you. It's not like that. I'm going to invite Jess up. I think it's fair to tell you, and I don't think Jess would hate me for this, that this is one of the last things she wants to do right now. Jess is not excited about public speaking, uh, so I pushed her because it's a gift, especially when somebody who doesn't want the stage takes the stage, right? Especially when somebody who it's, it takes a lot of effort to get up and share uh, does that and steps into it. Um, if I can be so bold, and Jeff, you, Jess, you could tell me if I'm just off right now. This is part of what it looks like to jump in with Jesus. This is part of what it looks like to jump into the river and trust and just be faithful to obey what he's saying. So I'm going to hand you a mic, and I want, to, I want you to share uh, some of the things that God has been doing in your life. And if I need to ask questions, we've talked about, um, we'll work on this together. Yeah. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Uh... Yeah, I wanted to start with why I'm excited about where discipleship is going um, at Damascus Road. Um, I personally have been pretty passionate about discipleship since I became a believer, um, way you know, back in high school. Um, it's been important to me that I walked out uh, my faith, that what I, I was, my actions matched my words, matched my belief. Uh, so I became a believer in high school. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't, I didn't grow up in a um, uh, home that really sought to follow Jesus. And so I mean, right away, it was important to like start a Bible study. I didn't even know what that looked like, um, but I, I did. My, our high school wasn't terribly uh, friendly to believers, um, but I wanted to dig into the word and figure out what it looked like to follow Jesus and kind of gave it my best go. I don't know if it was, you know, it was what it was. Um, but I, I always wanted to uh, dig into what, Somebody, surely, had, had um, dug into what it looked like to um, follow Jesus and kind of, you know, maybe somebody made a list of, of this, these are some things to look at in your life to see if, if uh, um, this is what following Jesus looks like. Uh, and I, I constantly kind of dug for that and couldn't find it and couldn't find it and, um, yeah, uh, wanted something more than just um, the structure of, I, I, I uh, had read into lots of different models of what it looks like to follow Jesus, and it usually was about uh, how many people are you getting together with, and uh, you know what are you doing in your time together, and um, just the the structure of it, uh, not what the actual discipleship part was about, right? Uh, I mean, it didn't really matter to me how many people there were, or where we met, or how long we met for, or anything like that. Um, and I, I just couldn't I couldn't dig into that. Uh, I couldn't find that. Um, and, and yes, the Bible gives uh, uh, great examples of what discipleship looks like, but I was, I was, I was looking for something that, um, I, I'm not great at, at follow, like, 
finding patterns in scripture and like putting together, uh, you know, well, this is, this is, these are some things. This is what the Bible says about this part of discipleship. And here's another facet of discipleship. Um, so I, I wanted a tool and I, I just couldn't find it. Um, yeah, surely somebody had, had worked on this already. Uh, and it turns out somebody uh, had, I mean, maybe in the same time I was looking. Um, I, uh, maybe about two years ago, um, met with Shannon and other um, community group leaders uh, at DR, and uh, Shannon mentioned that he had seen uh, a discipleship in action at a church that he had been involved with, and, and um, brought that uh, idea to us, and um, yeah, I was, I was uh, really excited to see that somebody had um, put together the very thing I was looking for, right? Uh, it was um, um, a model that kind of went through uh, biblical examples of, of what, um, what discipleship looks like, what, all, what a lot of those facets are. Like, and it, it was simple, it was easy to take with me, like I could carry it into a conversation with somebody um, uh, on the street, right? Like it wasn't, it wasn't hard to remember, it wasn't hard to um, uh, share. Um, and, and I mean, some of the important parts for me were that we weren't just um, studying scripture, studying God's word, studying what God is like. We were seeking to follow him. We were seeking to um, hear what he had to say to us in scripture and via the spirit and to live that out. There was uh, that kind of accountability there. Uh, we weren't just, um, yeah, we weren't just reading. We were, we were hearing God's word and we were responding to it uh, with our lives. Um, I, I, we wouldn't just be leading each other, others, um, uh, God would be leading uh, through us. Um, it wasn't just a program. Um, it, it, it honors the fact that we're uniquely wired, that we each have our own way of uh, leading and being and following Jesus. Um, so I was uh, really excited about it, uh, and um, still am. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm happy to talk more about it. Uh, yeah, but I guess I'll get into a specific example of how God's worked um, in my life in, in the past couple years. Um, yeah. Um, my family lives on a farm. We just moved there a couple of years ago. Um, and I, I'm <laughs> an aspiring beginning farmer. Uh, and. Um, as we were moving there, I, I asked friends around me that were more more familiar with rural life. I grew up in the city, uh, more comfortable, more familiar with rural life than I was. What I would have to adjust to, to kind of get used to this idea. And and one of the things that kept popping up was, um, I mean, there's a lot of like death, like animals die. You know, like there's a lot. I mean, out in the woods, you know, predators kill prey, and that's that's just around a lot more than it is in town. Um, and there's some amount of having to like get comfortable with it, I guess, you know? Like, so somebody gets injured and you need to put them down, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and I, I, you know, tucked that away, all right, great. Um, so I was kind of bracing myself for like this was coming. Um, our whole first year, nobody died and it was great. We had chickens and ducks and pigs and it was, it was a great blessing that we didn't have to deal with that <laughs> right at the get-go. Um, but, you know, come last summer, we, we had a, a Mama ducks sit on some eggs, and that's always, you know, cute and, you know, fuzzy feeling. You know, the, she hatched out some, I think, six baby uh, ducklings, and, you know, right away the, <laughs> the, the loss begins, right? Uh, a couple died, and then the next day another one died, and the next day another one died, and um, is, you know, all right, you know, uh, we, we had a cute little farm kitten we had just gotten, and 
Um, he died <laughs> like uh, maybe a few weeks later, and I was starting to get overwhelmed, not, not just by um, the fact that, uh, that these animals were dying. I mean, that was a, a maybe somewhat expected, but it was bringing back all of the, um, all the sadness of loss that I had felt at other times that I just kind of breezed past, right? Like, I, I, I'm not comfortable uh, with sadness. I don't really know what to do with it. Um, I mean, I, I didn't then, and um, I, you know, a, a few years prior, my, my grandparents had passed away. You know, all, all of these, all of the sadness kind of came flooding in after these animals died in the end. My, my, my grandparents passed away, and I, you know, I was really sad that I didn't get to know my grandpa better before dementia hit, right, and before he passed away. And that, that came back, right, and the sadness of my, my friend who, you know, desperately wanted a baby and uh, couldn't conceive, right? Like, that, that was weighing on me. Um, all, all of that kind of came back, even just like my, I'm, I'm sad that I'm not the parent that I want to be, that um, I don't have the time to be as creative as I would like to be. I don't make that time. Um, um, yeah, I mean, even little things uh, like, you know, the, my hammock is broken and it doesn't hang from the tree anymore, you know? Like, it's, it's still, it's there. Um, and I didn't know what to do with it, you know? I, I, I dug into, like I, I, I picked up a whole pile of library books on, on grieving, if you know me, that's, that's very much my style, and read them and didn't, still didn't know. I, I learned a lot about how to help somebody else who's grieving, <laughs> but didn't know uh, what to do with that myself. Um, but I, I started hearing um, what I thought was, was God talking to me um, with a, a, kind of the word to just, just be with it. Um, and. I, that didn't feel like an answer to me because uh, to me, just be sounds like you're not doing anything. You're doing nothing. And nothing isn't really something that I do much of. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't do nothing. I don't, um, that's, that's not part of my personality. So it sounded terrible. I didn't wanna just sit with it. I don't wanna just be sad uh, and not do anything. Um, and it also, it makes me a little bit nervous. I struggle with, depression um, sometimes, and sadness is, is real close to that deep pit of lies that depression is, right? I didn't, I didn't want to get too close to that. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I, I, I didn't have anything else. I, I talked with some people around me and, and talked about that, that, I, that I thought I heard God saying to be with it, and I didn't, I didn't like that. Um, but they, they, you know, held me accountable. I made a plan to just make some time to sit with that sadness and to um, uh, be with it, and I, uh, even to remember the good things that I had lost and like come up with some practices of remembering. Um, um, and as much as I don't, that's not, um, you know, a perfect process by any means uh, right now in my life. Um, I was kind of um, given the gift in it of hearing God remind me that, you know, it's, I don't like it. Yes, no, I don't like, I don't like being up here and talking either, right? But I'm here, right? Um, I don't like it, um, but that God is with me in it. Um, and that's, that's, I don't know, that makes it worth being there um, and, and sitting there with it. So I'm, that's about as much as I have, because uh, <laughs> it's still something that's, that's at work in me, um, but. One of the things that I heard you process, mm. uh, and you can confirm this, is that you felt like, uh, God, I don't want to go into the sadness. That sounds terrible. Yeah. And you felt like Jesus was saying, 
it's okay, come in, I'm here. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. I just, I find that deep. That's, and, and, and I'd go so far as to say sadness isn't the end. Right. But to stop blocking right. and let Jesus be there with you mm-hmm. and step into that and be present. And um, he's going to use that. Right. He's going to cook something up that you don't know yet what it is. But by letting him in um, and being present to grief, I'm just confident God is doing something in you. Mm-hmm. Does that sound good? Does that sound right? So thanks for sharing, Jess. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, you guys thank me. Sometimes when you follow Jesus, he takes you on rides that you don't want to go on at the time, and only after you've ridden on it for a while, you're like, whoa, I did not realize what you were doing, but you're so good. Um, And I'm going to be bold again and just say, I think Jess is in the middle of that right now. Like, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to stop blocking. I'm going to stop pretending that stuff isn't there, and I'm going to let you help me step in. And I love that. We're talking about three relationships that every follower of Jesus needs. An up relationship uh, with God, an in relationship into community, and an out relationship to the world around. And it comes out of Scripture. If we're going to teach it, we should be able to back it up, right? We should be able to look at it and say, this isn't just a well-thought-out strategy. This comes out of looking at Jesus, how he led, how he taught, how he made disciples, and we want to follow him. So if you have a Bible and you want to open up to Luke 6, you can do that. We'll put it up on the screen. We're going to walk through this passage that I think is a snapshot of these three relationships that Jesus modeled himself and then uh, did it in a way where we would imitate those in our own lives. Luke 6, starting in verse 12. Verse 12 is the up. In these days, he, Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Jesus' relationship with the Father, walking with the Spirit, was central to who he was. He didn't do anything that he didn't hear the Father saying. So he spent all night with the Father. Verse 13 And when day came, he calls his disciples and chose from them twelve, who he named apostles, Simon, who he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. They lived in community. They walked together, and they lived together, and they traveled together, and they ate together, and they laughed together, and they did life together so much that it functioned like family. They lived in together. And then verses 17 through 19. When he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed from their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out of him and he healed them all. So Jesus lived out. And when you see the crowds, it's, a, it's an out relationship. Jesus looked out to the world around him. 
they came to him. They didn't really live life together. They didn't all travel with Jesus. Some of them did. Some of them were kind of like the inn at a different level. Some of them just came to Jesus, got what they wanted, and went away. Some of them came to Jesus, heard a word that they were not expected, uh, expecting, and then walked away. When Jesus dealt with the crowds, and healing and power came from him, he said, I have come to seek and save the lost. So they came to him, but he didn't just wait for them to come to him. He went to them. That's the incarnation. He came off of his throne to us. He lived out. If we don't have all three of these relationships functioning in our life as individuals and as the church, we're going to wobble. We're going to wobble. He called us to all. He didn't call us just to grow with him and then reach out. He called these three relationships to percolate in our life, to grow in our life as we live with him. So if you have Jesus, you are equipped to share Jesus. If you have Jesus, you're equipped to live in the community. And you're equipped to relate with the Father. You're given that gift in these three relationships. And I want to talk about a little bit more about out this morning. Jesus never lost sight of his Father's vision to reach out to a dark and dying world, to bring light and to bring hope and to bring life. That's why he came. Death was everywhere, and he came to bring life. And he did it through living and through dying and through rising again, and then giving us that. He never lost sight of his mission. Why? Because he knew who he was. He knew who sent him. And he knew how important it was. What got him going? I'm going to say, Jesus, Jesus had the ability to see people. See where they were at. And to meet that with compassion. He saw people and he had compassion. So Matthew 9.36 says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 14.14 says, When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Matthew 20 Verse 34 in the NIV says, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. What is tying these together with the crowd? Jesus and compassion. The way he looked at people was compassion. Like he cared about them. He cared about their soul, about their heart, about their spirit. He cared about everything about who they were. And he saw that the lights were out and he wanted to turn them on. Mark. 10, verses 17 through 22. I love this passage because it doesn't end well here. Jesus was setting out on his journey. A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And the man said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. 
I love the, the climax of the story that I think is not in the man walking away. I think it's in Jesus looking at him and loving him. And now he's going to speak truth to him. But he did it because he loved him. Jesus didn't wait for a dying world to come to him. Philippians 2 says, he got off his throne in heaven and he came down here. He became one of us. And he didn't just become one of us. He came to the poorest of the poor. And he, he didn't even have a home as an adult. He walked around homeless. He was a refugee at one point in his life. And he reached out and he gave and he humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross, which was the worst possible death. And by doing so, rescued us. And by doing so, is exalted. His seeking and saving is made through his serving and dying because of his great love. People came to him. They felt like they had something missing, I think, and they could see something going on in him. And so they came. The man with a sick child that comes and he says, Jesus, my child is sick. If you can do something. And Jesus says, stop. If isn't in my vocabulary. If you believe, he's like, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And he says, done. Go home. Your child's better. And he went home and found it true. Friends came and they lowered their friend through a roof to Jesus, like a uh, thatch roof where they could literally pull the roof off and lower their friend down to say, we can't get to him any other way, but we are going to get our friend to you. And they came because they knew he had something. And sometimes it just happened as he was going along. Justin shared this example of the woman who was bleeding last week. She said, I just know if I just touch him. And when she did, she felt healing. Jesus didn't isolate himself from the world. He didn't come and he said, I want to gather people to me and let's just hide out. Let me pour into you and you can change the world by being just separate and huddled together and be just you, right? He didn't hide. He was full out there. He went to people and he let them come to him. He invited messy people to come to him. So if we're following Jesus, we can't isolate ourselves from the world. We can't. If saying we're following Jesus, we have to live out. And I don't want you to hear that as a go do better, but walk with Jesus. Go where he goes. Follow him. Imitate him. It grows in you and it cooks something that you couldn't do on your own. And then you go because compassion grows. Because love grows for people. Don't isolate yourself. If you, if you tend toward isolation because it feels safer to isolate, man, I want you to hear Walking with Jesus in the hard stuff is always safer in reality than sitting alone in safety without him. Jesus didn't primarily get involved in causes. This is a big deal. Jesus got involved with people. He said no to a lot of causes. 
lots of people had an agenda, and I think some good agendas, that they wanted him to say, I'll back that. And he constantly said, my kingdom is of a different place. Like, he got involved in people. And there are a lot of good causes for us to get involved in, and I want us to. But I want, at the very heart of it, to be reminded that it's not about causes, it's about people. It's not about doing great things, it's about having compassion and helping people see the light. And if a cause helps people to do that, then by all means use it as a tool, but don't see the cause as the end. People. People are at the end of it. Know the people you're seeking to help. Know the people that you're seeking to help. Get involved and invest yourself in real lives with compassion. See people and respond to that. He didn't create anything on his own. This is also important. Jesus said he did only what he saw the Father doing, and he followed his Father into it. Now, that's for us. I believe Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He did things because of a connection with the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he said, now I want you to do it. So it's striking when he, when he feeds the 5,000. I've grown up thinking, how did he do that? And the answer was, well, he was God. He can make bread as much as he wants. It's, it's a stretching thought to think maybe Jesus didn't use his own divine power to do it. Maybe Jesus relied on the power of the Spirit to do that. Because what happens next? He, the disciples say, hey, there's all these people here from bread. And he says, you do it. And I don't think Jesus was playing games. I don't think he was being snarky. I think he said, you do it. Though well, they can't use their own divine power. They can't do that. They're not divine, right? For them to do it, they have to lean in on the Spirit. It would make sense to me that Jesus modeled what he was commanding. When he walked on water and Peter said, Jesus, if it's you, command me to, tell, command me to come to you. Je Peter didn't use his own divine power, right? Peter tapped into a divine power that Jesus was inviting him into. He said, do it. And Peter did something, something that I'm not sure any other person in the history of the world has followed. Jesus did it. He commanded Peter to do it, and Peter did it. People called dead people to life in the book of Acts. They didn't do it using their own divine power. They used, they tapped into the Holy Spirit what God was doing. So there's something to say. Jesus walked with the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he says, follow me, and you can have this too, and you can do this too. Not all the time. We're fallible, right? We do things and like, that didn't go how I thought. I fell on my face. And Jesus says, get up, do it again. Try it. Don't hide in shame for getting it wrong. Step into it again. I'm with you, and I want it for you. So, in reaching out to people, don't go create stuff. Don't try to fix people. Don't feel shame for how bad you feel at this. Instead, look, look at others the way the Father looks at others. 
Begin to ask God to change your heart. Begin to ask God to change your eyes when you look at people. See what God is doing in the world, in people, and join Him in it. Every single person is created in the image of God, and every single person is deeply loved by God. When we see like He does, it will be a natural thing to reach out, to have compassion for people. One of my favorite short-term mission organizations is an organization called Mission Discovery. I love the name because that's what they do. They say we want to look around the world at what God is doing, and our mission is to discover that and join Him in it. We're not going to go cook things up. We're not going to go and try and save the world and uh, do all these great things. No, what is God doing? How can we join Him in it? I love that. Now, this may start with some stretching for you. If you're wired like I am, out is my weakest component, personally, if I'm going to be honest with you. If you're wired like I am, it will require stretching to step out. That's okay. That's okay. Be courageous. Going back to Jesus and his compassion in Matthew 9:36 it says when he saw the crowds he had compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know what happens after Matthew 36? Matthew 37. <laughs> and Matthew 38. And it reads this. Then so he looked out and he had compassion. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Who do you think he's asking? Jump into the harvest. Pray for... I, I, I can't imagine that he would say, just pray for others to do it. Pray for others to join you in what you're doing. Right? So I want you, I want us, church, to be a church of harvesters be a church of compassion reaching out into a world that needs to be loved. It's you, and it's me, it's us. Now, it's already happening within us at Damascus Road. We have people in our family now that did not know Jesus then, and they have stepped into Jesus because people reached out. I love it. It's growing. There's stuff that's going on. We got together around a leadership table and uh, we were talking about out and how are we doing without and our initial reaction at first was like we are not nailing this and then we started to talk about individuals who had found Jesus because individuals had reached out. Well that's the church. That's the church reaching out. We're not doing it with a program. We're not doing it with a strategy. We're not doing it with like a, you need to go and do this. It's happening because we're following Jesus and reaching out and people are coming in. And I love it. I just, I just love it. We don't have to say, let's start to make this happen. We have to say, let's continue. Let's grow. Let's grow in boldness. Let's grow in faithfulness. Let's grow in our ability to accept a risk and jump in following Jesus out. I also believe we have people 
who are so close to following Jesus. Still maybe holding off. And we need to continue to reach out in the midst of relationship. To say, you can put your hands down. Jesus is inviting you. You can come in. Not as a project. Not as a let me fix you. Let me like put one more tally up on the chalkboard to show how good I am. Is I have compassion and I have love and I want you to know how deeply you are loved. And I want you to step into Jesus the way I have. So I already told you this tends to be my weakest area. I'm still growing. I want us to grow. I want to share a couple of ways that I've been growing in the past couple of years. And it goes all the way back to when we started to feel like God was calling us to Madison. We started to feel like God was moving stuff around in our life to unsettle us, uproot us from Fond du Lac, where we'd been for 12 years. It got comfortable, and it was good, and it was rich, and we didn't want to leave. And then God said, I've got a different plan. And we're like, oh, all right. I'd rather go with you and risk something than stay here and have you leave, if that makes any sense. So we're jumping in. And one of the things that I felt God cooking up to say, you have a friend living in the Madison area. And if you go to DR, you need to tell DR, it's not just I'm going to pour into the church. I think God is doing some other things. And one of these things is this friend of mine who I need to invest in and pour in. And over the last two years, I've had this friendship has grown deeper than ever. It's not done. It's not fixed. It's not like all nice and neat. But God is calling me out in love to continue to reach. And I have more capacity now, living where we live, to do that. And I love how God orchestrates that. We moved into a house a couple of years ago. And we've made intentional efforts to start to get to know our neighbors. And especially because we've got neighbor magnets called kids. Right? Our kids play with neighbor kids. We start to meet them. We start to get to know their families a little bit more. And we grow in relationship. And always, we're training ourselves to look at the kids, look at the neighbor kids, not as just popsicle drainers, but as people who need love. And we can be a part of that. And we're praying out toward the kids in our neighborhood, toward the families in our neighborhood. Now, how can we do a good job loving them? How can we as a family invite them into our lives, reach out to them, and care about them? We're hoping that those relationships grow and grow and grow and grow, and God continues to do so. I've told you a couple times, I've, I camp out a lot at Cargo Coffee, like right down the road. I've just sort of made that a place where I'll go and be present. And I keep asking God, what do you want to do with me here? So far, it's like, not much. <laughs> like, not much. Like, do some study, have some meetings, talk to people. I'm like, yeah, God, but do you want to do something like fantastic and outward? Like, you show me a person, and I walk up and say, be healed. <laughs> Hasn't happened. Hasn't happened. I'm going to wait for God to, like, clearly do something before I jump in. But, like, I'm just going to trust as I'm out and as I'm present. God, you're doing something. You're doing something, God, because I'm here and I'm with you. So what is it? Show me. And I'll be satisfied with nothing until you do something. Right? 
It's an area where I need to grow in taking risks. So, one of the things that I love about being able to go to Senegal the last two years is that while we're there, we don't do a whole lot. We're not there for a project. We're not building a building. We're not like, yeah, I went and I did and I came back. It's, I'm going to go and I'm going to be with people. One of our greatest areas of activity is walking around and saying, how can we pray for you? Do you want us to pray for you? And there's power there. Like, Senegal is a much more spiritual climate. There's some bad stuff going on spiritually over there, but they're keenly aware of the spiritual world. We're here, we're kind of numb. We're here, we live in a naturalist kind of climate. I just see what's in front of me, and that's all there is. Senegal, they're like, I know there's a lot of stuff. I'm going to go find healing wherever I can, and witch doctors and whatever. We'll walk around and say, we're going to pray in Jesus' name now. Do you want that? And when they say yes, we enter into it. So I remember coming back from Senegal uh, last year, not this past trip, but the first one, and saying, there's a woman named Dubba, and she came to us and she said, my father-in-law is sick. Would you come and would you pray for him? And I was like, oh, that is not what I do. I do not pray for healing for people. That is outside of my comfort zone. I don't know that God's given me the gift of healing or what. Like, I, this is just foreign soil. And he's like, yep, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. So he said yes. And we went, and I'm, I will tell you, I like jumped in as best as I could. And I'm praying with as much authority as I recognize in Jesus' name, calling out sickness, calling for healing in Jesus' name, so this Muslim man would know the love of Jesus, would be healed, and could be a light in that community to heal him because God loves him and to radiate out from that. And then we got him in a vehicle and took him to the hospital. And I remember coming back here saying God is healing him one way or another, either by prayer or through the hospital. God is healing him. And it looked really good. And the hospital said, he's healing. He's going home now. And then he died. And I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't tell you. I just stepped in more than I've ever stepped in. It looked good. Who screwed up? Me? The hospital? God, you? And I wrestled with that. And I carried a level of shame so that I couldn't even tell you. The man died. I don't know his eternal landing place. I'm going to trust God with that. What I will say is, I'm going to do it again. Because I have a choice. I can either say, well, that's enough. Like Jess, I'm just going to block that now. Or I'm going to step in again. I'm going to step in. And I'm going to do it as befuddled as I know how to. And it's not going to like, I'm not a pro. I don't need to be. Neither, neither do you. To reach out and to care and to have compassion and to step out 
with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, is enough. So we have a friend who just got a cancer diagnosis. Not like a, like a real tight friend, but a friend found out she's got cancer. And she showed up in our driveway one day. And I was like, well, Senegal all over. Can I pray for you? I said, really? Because, like, I'm going to pray in Jesus' name, and I'm going to pray for healing. And I don't know where you're at, but I'm going to pray that way. Is that okay? She said, I would love that. So I prayed, and I jumped in. And I prayed in ways that I'm not comfortable praying. Jesus keeps saying, you don't have to be comfortable. It's not about being comfortable. It's about diving in. Trust me. Just go for it. And we'll see. That's all I got right now. We'll see. We'll see what God does with that. He knows best. He really does. He knows best. I want people to know Jesus. I want to continue to live out, follow Jesus out. I want you to grow out too. I want us as a church to continue to live out. Jesus modeled it with compassion and love for people. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world. That's an out that Jesus came. We need to grow out. So, let me read some questions to you. These are just questions, out questions. And I want you to pray, and I want to say, God, any of these questions stick on me right now. Any of these questions jump out. Any of these say, this, is, this one's for me. I need to respond to this one. I'm going to, I'll tell you what, I'm going to read through this list. You might say, none of those are doing anything for me. We'll trust that, okay? If one does, jump into that. Jump in. God, what do you, how do you want me to, what do you say in here? What do you want me to hear? Do I see people through the eyes of the Father and have a heart for people who don't know God? Am I inviting people into my life? How often do I share my faith? Have I ever offered to pray for someone in person who doesn't know God? Can I identify someone I'm actively praying for that they'd meet God? Do I seek to serve by loving non-believers? Can I take risks? If there's something in that list that God is highlighting for you, grab it. You don't need an answer right now. Grab it. If the answer is clear, then obey. Then follow through. Then step in. If he's just highlighting, then I want you to chew on it. I want you to, I want you to discern. I want you to stack it up against Scripture. And God, God, do I hear you right? Share it with somebody else. Am I? Do you think I'm hearing this right? Well, God had me go do this. Test that. If you think the answer is yes, then jump in. Now I want to do something different. A little bit, little bit of activity in the room. I'm going to reach out in a couple of different ways. The first one's to introverts who just want to go for something, and the second one is for, uh, or the first one's for extroverts who just want to go for it, and the second one will be for introverts who are like, I want to hear details first. Okay, I'm looking for volunteers for an out challenge. 
We're going to do it. You want it? If you're up for that, come up here. I'll call again. I need 10. I don't need 10. I've got resources for 10. Whoa, nice. Okay, hold on. How many? We got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Now, men, come on. Yep. Nice. Recruit for me. Yeah, Kyle. Okay. Here's what I got for you. I've got 10 $10 pick and save gift cards. Uh, your job is to take it, to ask God, God, what do you want me to do with this out? What do you want me to do with this out? How can I take $10 and turn it out? Okay. I want to say you're not allowed to just give it to somebody, the card, but if God leads you to defy me, then do it. <laughs> I'd rather have you like follow his leading, but it's about people. It's about loving people. And so if God says, Here, you're talking with somebody and they need $10, like, I got $10 in my pocket for you, okay? You get creative. You go buy $10 worth of popsicles and show up to your neighborhood park with your family, not in your windowless white van, okay? <laughs> Your, your van, your white van has windows. It's good. Okay? Don't go creepy. Like, okay? Look to love. So this is what I want to say to you. This week, we're sending you to love. We're sending you out to look at, people, to look at people and to have compassion on people. And you have $10 to spend. See me after worship, and I'll give it to you. And then what you're agreeing to, I want to hear stories. I want to hear back. I want to see what God does with this, what you do through it, and what God's doing in that, okay? It'll be, it may be messy. It may be like, I don't know what happened. I lost it, and hopefully God picked it up. Don't do that, okay? You just all signed up to go out, and I love it. Let's pray. God, we stand firmly on your word. We know that all all other ground is sinking sand. We stand on you. And we live with you. The words jump off the page and they become real for us. And we live with passion and conviction. Help us to live up. Help us to live in. And help us to live out. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.